Karen, I'm very grateful for the way you courageously have told your story for us. And I don't need to say anything more about the Soul Care Conference or the class, do I? It's, it's worth your time. And just like Karen was able to sign up for Soul Care before Adrian was done announcing it, you have that opportunity as well today. So you can sign up at fortcity.info. You guys, um, I'm excited about this morning. Uh, one of the things I discovered a few years back uh, was that if you plan to talk to people for a living and expect them to listen to you, uh, you need to have something to say. And you need stories. And so I started writing down story titles in my phone, in a note on my phone. And so every time something funny happened or anytime something interesting happens, I just pull out my phone and I just quickly jot down, not the story, just the title to that story. And so I have this, this list of, of titles to stories. And, and that way when I, I need to speak with people, I can kind of glance at this list of stories and be reminded of funny or interesting or important things that have happened. Uh, it's, it's, it's funny, my, my family and friends find this really annoying because uh, we'll be talking, I'll be like, oh, that's good, and I'll pull out my phone. Uh, a few months ago, I was out to lunch with Kurt Anderson, and Kurt uh, offered to pay, and he went to pay and realized he forgot uh, his wallet at home. And I said, it's okay, Kurt, I've got it. And he said, you're going to put this in one of your sermons, aren't you, Lucas? <laughs> and I said, no, and I am a liar because I... <laughs> The title of that story in my story folder is just simply, Kurt Can't Pay. <laughs> Here's a couple of other titles in that note. Uh, Cabbage on a Plane is, uh, is one of them. God Breast Us, Everyone is another title. <laughs> Ski Trip, Pea Trip, which is one I'm not sure I can ever tell in church. Uh, and then Adrian the Underwear Thief. Is, a, is another one. That's a, that's a good story for another time. I've got pages and pages of just these titles uh, on my phone. And this week I did a word search uh, through these, these titles uh, just to discover how many of the titles have my wife's name, Adrian, in them. Uh, and I, I discovered that one in four of my sermon, or these story titles have Adrian's name in them. We've been together since grade 10, and so you spend that much time with someone, you accumulate a lot of stories. Now, if you asked me to tell you about my wife, Adrian, uh, it would be weird if I just told you her statistics or her specifics. Like if I just gave you her stat line and I said, you know, uh, her name is Adrian Elizabeth Stevens. She is 179.4 centimeters tall with blonde hair and blue eyes. Her shoe size is 10 and she wears prescription glasses. Her resting heart rate is 85 beats per minute and her blood type is O positive, right? That, this would be a weird way for me to describe my wife especially because I'm not sure what color her eyes are. I am colorblind, so blue was my best guess. It would be far more natural if you asked me to tell you about my wife for you, me to tell you about what she means to me and the things we've experienced together. It would be far more natural for me to say that my wife is a courageous woman, someone who I've never seen back away from doing the hard things in life. I tell you that when I feel weak, that she is my strength. I tell you that she does this thing that really annoys me, that when we go to the grocery store, she doesn't start getting her things ready to get out of the car till we're fully parked, and I'm halfway to the door of the grocery store, and she's still getting her things together in the car. 
I tell you about how my heart grew a couple of sizes one day when I discovered a folded up blanket next to our bed where I knew she had been on her knees praying for me and our boys. I tell you about the time my wife went to Arkansas to visit her parents, and while she was gone, I cleaned out her closet and threw out everything I'd never seen her wore before. <laughs> that is a true story. <laughs> I'm still married. It was very early in our marriage. Listen, if I've never seen her wore it before, then she didn't need it, right? That's... Anyways, I'm going to just dig a hole here. If you were to ask me to tell you about my wife, these are the things you'd expect me to say. I'd tell you about what she means to me and who she has been to me and where we're going together. And it should be the same way when it comes to talking about Jesus. But too often, when asked about Jesus, we refer to his stat line. You want to know about Jesus? Well, he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, he's ever-present, he's righteous, he's holy, he's transcendent. We list off his stat line. But it's one thing to be able to talk about Jesus, to describe his stat line, and it's another thing to be able to describe who he is, who he is to you and who he has been to you. Jesus is personal, and he doesn't just want us to know about him. He wants us to know him personally. And at Fort City these last couple of weeks, we've been talking about Jesus. And not the stained glass, unapproachable, dispassionate Jesus that many of us grew up with knowing. But the real, playful, honest, passionate Jesus, this beautiful outlaw who, sometimes, or who somehow was offensive enough to offend those in power and they arrested and killed him, but charming enough to make the lost and lonely adore him. Today, in our journey to know Jesus more personally, we're going to talk about a side of him that might be a little bit uncomfortable for some. We're going to talk about how Jesus was disruptively honest. And he was a straight shooter, and of, of the four people that documented his life for us, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they wrote down the history of Jesus. All four of them included stories where Jesus was disruptive, where Jesus made people uncomfortable, where Jesus said things that are hard for us to hear. Jesus was kind and compassionate and playful, and yet... He was also not afraid to roll up his sleeves and have hard conversations. When it comes to the sometimes uncomfortable, disruptive things Jesus said and did, I have a rule. I must decide that I must always believe that Jesus said or did that thing with love in his heart. I must decide ahead of time that if I read something that Jesus has said or done that makes me feel like he was unloving or unkind or harsh, that I need to presume that what he has done or said that has made me feel uncomfortable was done from an overflow of love. This week, I made a post uh, 
asking people to briefly describe who Jesus is to them. And there were some really good answers. You guys really came to play. Uh, Svetlana said Jesus is kind, loving, caring, strong, and sincere. That's good. Jeff Bishop said Jesus is courageous. Stephen Morton said Jesus is a good chap who seemed to know what he was on about. And our old friend and radio jockey Brad Karp said Jesus had great hair. Thanks for your input, Brad. There are all sorts of words and categories that we use to describe Jesus. You've heard me use a couple of these already this morning. Jesus is omnipotent, all-powerful. That means there's nothing in the world that he cannot do. Jesus is omniscient or all-knowing or omniscience. There is nothing in the universe that Jesus does not know. He is uh, omnipresent or ever-present. That means Jesus is exactly where he is right now, but he's also everywhere all at once. He is compassionate. He is just. He is kind. He is holy. He is sovereign. And these are words that we've invented and to use to describe the indescribable. And the truth is, language has breached its limits, its ability to properly describe God. He is everything and more. We will never reach the edges of him. But while these words attempt to describe a small part of God's character, of who he is, only one word attempts to describe his very essence his very substance. And that word is love. God is love. It is who he is, and it is reflected in his will and his thoughts and his actions, his omnipotence, his omniscience, and his, uh, his ever-present it is all a reflection of his substance that is love. Jesus' closest friend, John, put it this way, but anyone who does not know love does not know God, for God is love. To God, love is not a guiding principle. It isn't a set of standards or morals or actions. It isn't something he can turn on or off. Love is what he is. And so for me, that's why if I read something about Jesus in the stories of Jesus that makes me feel like maybe he was unloving or unkind, I must decide that I am mistaken and I need to work at trying to see his loving heart in the things that he has said and done. This is a rule of thumb that all of us should adopt as we read the Bible. Always assume the motivation of Jesus is love. Jesus was disruptively honest. Uh, often he said things that people could not ignore in ways they could not be misinterpreted. Uh, I am occasionally disruptively honest. It's kind of a vice. It's something that I wish I wasn't uh, as bad at stumbling into. The summer after the Horse River Fire, my family was in Edmonton visiting our friends, Mike and Kim Sotsky. Uh, they are very important people to us. And we were sitting in their backyard around the fire pit. We could see the stars. It was beautiful out. And it was just that kind of night where you spend with friends that just feels good, right? It just feels right. And suddenly, uh, Mike's neighbor jumps, kind of jumps over the fence and he says, hey guys, can I join you? 
and I'm kind of like, want to meet a new person, and we're having a good time, but Mike says, sure, come on over, and it became clear very quickly uh, that this fellow was very inebriated, uh, and he, he, was, uh, he was slurring his words and stumbling around, and after a few minutes, um, uh, he sat down and we're kind of talking about things and then he started to kind of talk about the fire which had just happened a couple months before and he talked about how uh, terrible a job the firefighters did that they should have done a better job he talked about how uh, all the evacuees were taking advantage of the kindness of other albertans this guy was like a real treat do you, do you know what i mean like real had a very punchable face and <laughs> And I, I, let it, I let him go on for just a couple of minutes like this. And finally, I had had enough. And I looked at him. I said, listen, I'm here having a nice night with my friends. And you're being a real jerk. And I want you to leave right now. And all you could hear was the crackling of the fire. Mike and Kim were kind of like, did he just do that? And the guy's like, are you serious? I was like, yes, get out of here. And he left. And... Poor Mike had to go talk to him the next day and apologize for my behavior. I was disruptively honest. And I wasn't particularly kind. And I wasn't particularly loving. I had literally failed at the whole love your neighbor thing. I had literally not loved a literal neighbor. And we're going to look today at two stories about Jesus where he was disruptively honest, but unlike me, was able to pull it off in a loving way because he cannot do anything that is unloving. So our first story, Jesus has been speaking to a crowd when a Pharisee invites him over to his home for supper. And this, it's likely that this Pharisee was the most respected person in town. It would have been a great honor for Jesus to be invited to his home. And so in our story, Luke tells us in Luke 11, that Jesus goes to this Pharisee's house. He sits down at his table and begins to eat with one important mistake. Jesus did not perform the hand-washing ceremony required as a Jewish custom. And the Pharisee is shocked and offended. It's kind of a big deal for Jesus, a rabbi, to have skipped this very important Jewish custom. And here this man has invited Jesus into his home, and Jesus can't even be bothered to follow this simple custom. Sensing his host's frustration, Jesus looks up at him, at his dinner host, and he says this, You Pharisees, you're so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside, you're filthy, you're full of greed and wickedness. How is this love? It doesn't even seem polite Jesus is a guest in his home. He's, he's sitting at the man's table, eating the man's food. He's sitting in front of this man's friends and family. And Jesus said, hey, hey, you might look like a good person on the outside, but I know the truth. On the inside, you're wicked. Now, how, had I been that Pharisee, that's probably where I would have looked at him and said, hey, buddy, you're kind of being a jerk, and I'd like you to leave. How is what Jesus is saying here loving? 
This is what we need to know about Jesus. He is on a mission to rescue people, some of whom are so utterly deceived that they don't even want to be rescued. When a person is so encrusted with pride, bigotry, self-righteousness, and intellectual elitism as this guy, this dinner host was, sometimes tough, honest, cutting words might be the only thing that can crack through that thick exterior. See, Jesus loves this man. Jesus doesn't hate him. Jesus loves him. And he knows that on the outside, this man does all the right things, follows all the right customs, but on the inside, he is consumed with shame and with judgment. Jesus knows this man is living a lie. That because of the way this man believes, practices his, his faith, that other people in the community are harmed. That because of the way he feels about himself, this man will never realize the purposes that God has for him. Jesus confronts this man with the unsettling truth that he is a fraud. And if Jesus didn't have the courage to help this man discover that truth, then who would do it for him? Let's look at a second story of Jesus being disruptively Honest. Jesus had become good friends with a family. Their names were Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Lazarus. And, and other than the disciples, these three people are described as being Jesus' closest friends in, in the Bible. And, and Luke tells us that Jesus was in their home, that he was talking with them, and Mary was kind of captivated by his words. And, and she's actually sitting at his feet, looking up, kind of hanging on every word that he is sharing in the room. And Martha, on the other hand, was busy preparing dinner for her guests. And she's bustling along in the kitchen and getting the hummus ready and the pita bread and everything. And, she, you know, sometimes when my son Camille does, unloads the dishwasher, Camille, he unloads the dishwasher, he, he likes to, like, bang the dishes together so everyone in the house knows he's doing a chore. Right? Do, do you guys, has your kids do this? It's like clickety-clack all in the kitchen. We get it. You're doing a chore. This is what Mara's doing, Martha's doing, right? Like she's in the kitchen, and she wants everyone to know that she's working hard. She's getting everything ready. And finally, her frustration gets, with her sister gets the best of her, and she just peeks her head in the other room, just through the doorway. And she says, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. Lazy bones. But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing to be concerned about. And Mary has discovered it. And it will not be taken from her. His tone with Mary is much softer than it was with the Pharisee. But the words are still disruptive. Martha, you know that I love you. I know that you're a hard worker, and I know that there is a lot of work that has to be done. But you are so busy with the details that you've missed the big picture. Martha was so busy working for Jesus that she was missing the opportunity to know Jesus. I've said it the last three weeks. You can do all the things. You could go to church 
You can sing the songs. You can even read your Bible and miss getting to know the real person of Jesus. Heck, there are people who even work for him who don't know him. There are pastors out there who could do with a dose of knowing who Jesus is. Jesus was constantly, disruptively honest. And he said a lot of hard things. And I'm going to close in a minute. We're going to go through an exercise together. So what I'm going to do is invite the worship team to come back up. We're going to sing a song together in a moment and, and go through an exercise. Jesus said a lot of hard things. Just a couple. Let's go over some of them. Uh, one time a man said to Jesus, I will follow you, Jesus, wherever you go. And Jesus knew the man didn't really know what he was talking about. And so Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. And the man walked away disappointed at the words of Jesus. Another said, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere you go, but first let me go and bury my father. A very reasonable request. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. That seems kind of harsh, doesn't it? To Nicodemus, who was a scholar and a teacher, a Pharisee, he just never could seem to grasp what Jesus was trying to tell him. And, and so Jesus looked at him and said, you're Israel's teacher and you don't understand the, these things. The Pharisees claimed they were good because of their ancestor Abraham, but Jesus constantly confronted them saying, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the things that Abraham did. And then his friend Judas Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And Judas says, surely not I, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, yes, it is you. Jesus was disruptively honest. He was not content to let people live a lie. He was not content to let people continue to make the same mistake over and over again. And here's the thing. This is the single point that I want us to, 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 to take away from this message today. Jesus was disruptively honest. And Jesus is still disruptively honest. He wants to disrupt your life with the truth. He loves you so much that he is not content with any one of us missing out on our potential. He loves you so much that he is not content to let you pass by his purposes for you. He wants more for you. And so don't mistake what I'm saying this morning. Don't, don't, don't hear what I'm saying. I am not telling you to go out into your life and to be disruptively honest. That's not the lesson here today. That's another message for another time. I don't want you to go home and start ruining all your friendships and relationships, telling them exactly what you think about them. But what I am saying is I believe Jesus wants to be disruptively honest with you. He wants to help you look into the mirror. He wants to help you see the truth, help you to see that the things, there are things that he wants you to be doing that you're not doing. Help you to see that there are things that you are doing that he wants you to stop doing. He wants to disrupt your life with the truth because he loves you. And he doesn't want anything more from you. He wants more for you. Now, I don't know what it is this morning that he wants to tell you. 
We're a big group of people. There are a lot of different lives in this room. There's a lot of different relationships with God and different levels of faith in this room right now. I don't know exactly what truth, disruptive truth, he wants to speak to you this morning. Maybe that means, maybe for you, some of one, it means following Jesus for the first time. Maybe it means having the courage to decide to get baptized here at church on September 11th next month. Maybe it's a conversation that is hard and difficult that you need to have with your spouse. Maybe it's deciding to walk away from a vice like alcohol that might be holding you back or whatever. I don't know what your disruptive truth is that Jesus has for you this morning, but I know Jesus knows what it is. And at Fort City, we believe that God is not silent. We believe that the Holy Spirit reveals, inspires, and speaks to those who are open to them. Just like Karen shared in her video, she said, it was my handwriting on the page, but it was the words of God speaking directly to her very heart. And so as we finish today, I'm going to pray for us that Jesus would be disruptively honest with us and that he would speak to our hearts the life-giving truth that each one of us needs to hear. And so as we finish our service, I've got a question that I want each one of us to spend a moment uh, to ask Jesus and to spend a moment and to listen to his voice. And the question is, Jesus, what life-giving, disruptive truth do you want me to know today? Now, if he gives you something for your spouse, that's not it. If he gives you something for the person behind you, that's not it. We're asking Jesus, what life-giving truth do you want me to know today? And we, I think we're going to put the question on the screen. That's good. And we're going to ask Jesus to speak in the way that only he can. And, it's, and, and if, you're, if this is weird for you, of being in a room of people asking God a question and then being silent, listening for his voice to answer that question, I get it. It's a little bit uncomfortable. But we're going to just take a moment. The band is going to play quietly. We're kind of going to be silent. And we're just going to ask Jesus this question. And it's my prayer this morning that he is a disruptive truth that is for you and you alone. And I believe he does. I believe he does. You may get a picture or a story. You may be taken to a memory or you may sense him challenge you this morning. Let's take a moment. Let's li ask him this question. Let's listen for his voice and see what he has to say. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you for each person that has joined us this morning. I thank you for the walks, the, the, the walks of life, the walks of faith, the different families, the different histories that are represented in this room right now. And Jesus, we are a big group, but you are a personal God and you care about each and every one of us. And Jesus, each one of us needs to hear from you this morning, to be challenged, to be, to be changed, to, to take a next step in faith, to take a next step in our life, to discover more deeply your purposes and plans for us. And so Jesus, we just take this moment and we invite you to speak clearly to us and we open our hearts to you open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear Jesus. Let everything in our lives fade into the background as we come to you with this question. Jesus, what life-giving, 
disruptive truth do you want me to know today? Let's ask him that together. Let's take a few moments to be silent together and listen to what he has to say. know I know Jesus is speaking right now and he's not the kind of guy I like to interrupt but this is something this this practice of asking Jesus a question is something I encourage each one of you to incorporate into any kind of prayer that you do do he wants to speak to us and so I would encourage you to take this question away from the church today and ask it again to Jesus ask him what does he want to say to you and I believe he wants to answer you but as we close out our service this morning the band is going to lead us in one final song the declaration of how good this God is let's stand and worship together